And we are live uh, here on the Reinventing the Tattoo channel. Um, and I'm not sure if anyone can see me. Looks like there might be an issue. Okay. Yep. Never mind. We should be good to go. Um, yeah. And thank you for tuning in again live today. It is Sunday, October 29th. It is 1 p.m. Uh, here live on the Reinventing the Tattoo channel. And I am your host for today. Uh, my name is Jason Leeser. And um, welcome to Skill Building Sunday. And if this is working for you, please do me a favor, drop a comment, hit the like button, um, and tag a friend who loves tattoos. Maybe it's someone that wants to get their first tattoo. Maybe it's someone interested in becoming a tattoo artist. Maybe it's someone that just likes fine art. Who knows? Uh, tag everyone you know that you think might be interested, please. And welcome to Guy Aitchison's Reinventing the Tattoo Community, where tattooers, apprentices, collectors, and the curious are encouraged to join in these live streams, real world events to share and inspire and ultimately create better art and tattoos together. We beam out nearly every day and with your help have evolved into a quality network of amazing live and on-demand tattoo and art shows that have all been receiving rave reviews. You can find Reinventing the Tattoo in both of the app stores, the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store, as well as our Reinventing the Tattoo YouTube channel, our Reinventing the Tattoo Roku channel, which has 12 to 15 different episodes going at any given time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as well as all of the major podcast directories such as Apple and Spotify. Or you can do what most people do and just search for Reinventing the Tattoo and you'll find it all, except for the book, which is still currently out of print. But no matter where you were watching live or on demand, you can always get the latest and greatest, most up-to-date information all available at www.reinventingthetattoo.com. You can try it out for free. Uh, we've got a number of sample webinars from the Reinventing the Tattoo canon, or you can get some free advice from Guy Itchison about your unique goals, or you can take a comprehensive tattoo history course from Jay Brown, which for fellow tattoo history nerds such as myself, highly recommend it. At www.reinventingthetattoo.com, you can also find a full event schedule with full weekly and special event live stream details, as well as access to the Reinventing 24-7 channel, which is a lot like our Roku channel. It's got 13 different channels playing 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as well as a whole host of professional development courses from over 20 world-class tattoo artists, people such as BJ Betts, Bob Tyrell, um, and uh, let's see, Andre Malcolm's got a Koi half-sleeve seminar on there. It's absolutely phenomenal. Once again, if this is working for you, please let me know. Uh, drop a comment or a chat. And please, tag a friend who loves tattoos. Um, and it looks like I just need to adjust something really quickly. Let's see. That should be better. That should be coming up in just a second. Um, we have a number of weekly staple shows we always encourage people to tune into. 
starting off on Sundays at 1 p.m. with me, Jason Leeser, and the Skill Building Sunday Drawing Group. That's followed on Mondays with four separate shows, starting off at 9 a.m. Monday mornings with Drawing Four Tattooers with James Wisdom, where we get to go through and discuss basic drawing techniques and strategies. Um, helps us get back to our roots of being fine artists. Following Drawing Four Tattooers with James Wisdom at 9 a.m., at 11 a.m., we have the Tattoo Weekly Show hosted by Lauren, uh, Lauren Gregory, Gabe Ripley, and Jake Meeks from the Fireside Tattoo Network. Um, so if you're looking for the most up-to-date information and news going on in the tattoo industry, tune in to the Tattoo Weekly, uh, where you can find all of the most up-to-date, relevant information in this industry. Following that, at 5 p.m. on Mondays, we have Let's Talk About Feelings with Robbie Ripple where we have a nice, nice, safe space to go through and discuss maybe some of the uh, issues that we encounter day-to-day -day working in this industry that maybe other people that are outside of the industry might not really be able to uh, relate to. Um, so, And that's 5 p.m. Let's Talk About Feelings with Robbie Ripple. Following that and capping off Monday evenings at 9 p.m., we have a subscribers exclusive drawing group with Sandy McAndrew from the Reinventing the Tattoo Network. And that drawing group is only available if you are a Reinventing the Tattoo Evolution or Reinventing the Tattoo Canon subscriber. Um, I can tell you from firsthand accounts, even just getting a subscription is well worth it, even if you only do those Monday night groups where you get to go through and work on different aspects live with other people. Following all of that, on Wednesdays at 12 noon, we have the Tattoo Now Show with Gabe Ripley, where we get to dive a little bit more into the business side of tattooing. Uh, maybe it's marketing, maybe it's international travel visas. Um, there's a lot of different stuff going on in the back end with tattooing, and a lot of that is discussed on Wednesdays at noon. Following that and capping off the week, Thursdays at 6 p.m., we have the Tattoo Collecting 101 podcast with Fawn Baker, where we get to go through and hear about different people's journeys and how they developed such a collection of tattoos and what are some of the stories behind those tattoos. We also have a special event coming up. Uh, we will be live from the International Puerto Rico Tattoo Convention, December 1st, 2nd, and 3rd in beautiful San Juan, Puerto Rico. And I will be joined by James Wisdom of the Reinventing the Tattoo Network, as well as Seth Mushrush. Fast Alley will be there from Lost and Found Tattoo in New Jersey, as well as Jimmy D'Alessio, Bill Canales from Full Circle Tattoo in San Diego, the legendary Fibs, as well as the entire Tex family who will all be in attendance at the International Puerto Rico Tattoo Convention. We are booking appointments now. So if you are trying to get an appointment, please, by all means, hit me up, let me know, and we'll be happy to get you all sorted out. Um, I would like to take a quick minute and thank some of our sponsors and some of the people that make this show happen. Starting off with WorldTattooEvents.com, the largest, most comprehensive resource for tattoo events worldwide. They're constantly keeping everything updated. As we know, living in this post-pandemic era, there are still certain tattoo events that are getting rescheduled like crazy. So if you are looking for the most up-to-date tattoo event calendar possible, 
take a look at worldtattooevents.com. Would also like to thank tattoonow.com, technology for tattooers, the leading edge in professional development, management, and digital tools for tattoo artists of all levels. They're constantly keeping everything upgraded and competitive with any type of CRM, mailing list, or scheduling software out there. They also build websites. So if you were looking for the digital tools to help you get more clients through the door that really want to get the kind of work that you really want to do, take a look at TattooNow.com. Would also like to thank Guy Aitchison at GuyAitchison.com. He is the founder and inspiration behind Reinventing the Tattoo. You can go to GuyAitchison.com to pick up a copy of his Biomech Encyclopedia, uh, some of his tutorial DVDs. He's got some custom coil machines for sale, countless fine art prints, and occasionally some original oil paintings all for sale at GuyAitchison.com. Would also like to say a very quick thank you and shout out to a few people. Uh, the Apprenticeship Diaries with Amy Nichols, the number one resource if you are trying to get a tattoo apprenticeship or want to know more about tattoo apprenticeships, take a listen to the Apprenticeship Diaries podcast with Amy Nichols and be prepared to dive into a world of tattoo apprenticeships and stories and advice on how to get and get the most out of your apprenticeship. Would also like to say a quick thank you to TATCOM and Aaron Williams, mad scientist at TATCOM, uh, for developing some of the most cutting edge, up-to-date, and absolutely incredible tattoo technology out there. These guys are literally diving into the science of how tattoos work and then developing equipment to allow us to tattoo better and more efficiently. So if you're looking for the most cutting edge tattoo equipment on the market, Take a look at Aaron Williams and TATCOM. As always, we ask that if you like today's show, please post a positive review on the channel. Help us get the word out. Make sure to hit that like and subscribe button down at the bottom of the page. This way you can always stay up to date with all of the latest shows coming through on the Reinventing the Tattoo Network. And if you would like to host a Reinventing the Tattoo event, become a sponsor of our community, or if you're looking for a fine art or a tattoo critique, you can always email management at reinventingthetattoo.com, and we will get back to you as soon as we can. And that kind of wraps it up for our introduction today. Um, we did have someone join us here on the Zoom. Uh, let's see. I don't know if they're still there or not, not, but looks like we've got Todd with us. And I really do, nope, Todd did not decide to join us. Um, and I do not know if we are coming through very well on the YouTube. I think maybe it's my bandwidth, um, which is not always a good thing, but. We will deal with that as it comes. So, um, do, 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 do. There we go. Oh, that, that, that's the one I'm looking for. Great. Awesome. So, today's topic uh, we will be covering tattoo needles and needle tapers. Now, I'm more of a traditionalist. Okay. 
I am a very big fan of the industry standard number 12 pin. Um, tattoo needles can be broken down into different pin sizes, different taper lengths, etc. It's a very, very deep hole to dive into uh, when you get into the technical aspects of the equipment that we use. Um, this episode might be getting into some of the more technical aspects. Um, I myself am not a 100% authority on this information. I do know quite a bit about it, but I would not consider myself an authority on it. I have reached out to a couple of people that I know, uh, Mark Lascarbo from Needle Jig Tattoo Supply, who's been manufacturing tattoo needles for over 30 years, um, who developed and invented the curved mag um, or rounded mag, uh, as some people call them. Some people refer to them as soft edge mags, but it's all the same thing. It's a mag with a radius on it to eliminate any kind of corner marks that can be made using a larger grouping. Um, he invented those. I've invited him on. He was unable to make it today, but we are trying to work something out for possibly next weekend. Um, he is definitely one of many authorities on this topic. Um, He's the first name that popped into my mind. Um, and I'm currently learning a lot about a lot of things, not just from him, but also my own research when I realized that, hey, maybe I didn't know quite as much about this stuff as I thought. Um, so there's a lot to understand here. Um, and I've been trying out a lot of different things over the years from uh, number eight pins and 0.25 millimeter diameter pins to, um, you know, 0.30 pins, uh, or your number tens, 0.35s, which are your number 12s. Um, and then lately I've started to dabble with some of the bigger, uh, needle groupings, some of the bigger diameter pin groupings. Um, and I picked up a box of the, um, I believe they're called open liners from Cheyenne recently. And, you know, I was looking for a nice bold line, not anything super crazy big, but I was looking for something that was going to be, you know, a good solid single pass bold line. And, you know, I had been hearing a lot of good things about these and I know quite a few people that use them. Um, so I picked them up and wanted to give them a shot. And um, wow, absolutely fantastic. I cannot stress how much I really like these open liners. Um, they are phenomenal. They are everything that you have ever wanted in a cartridge. Uh, they come from a great brand. So you know that safety is a key thing. You know that they're going to be safe. They're going to prevent backflow. They're going to prevent cross-contamination, which is awesome. They are a little bit higher on the price side, um, but with that, you do get quality, and I do understand that you do have to pay for quality. Um, I have been absolutely thrilled with them. It They've kind of developed open liners to be like a one-stop shop. Um, they've got small 0.30 diameter, uh, small groupings for fine stuff. They've got a little bit bigger. They've got a little bit bigger, they've got big, and then they've got monster big. Um, but I really like the way that they're kind of doing things. 
where they're starting out with a smaller diameter pin uh, for some of their really, really small tight groupings. And then as the grouping sizes get bigger, they're actually increasing the diameter of the pin size itself. Um, and that's something that, you know, I never really thought of doing. When I was coming up in this industry, um, I was always taught, you know, to avoid bigger pin sizes because it causes more skin trauma. Um, but no one ever explained needle taper to me and how that can affect um, how much trauma to the skin is caused. Uh, what I've started to pick up on is that some of these companies that are out there that might be using a larger diameter pin, maybe a 0 0.40, um, which doesn't sound like a whole lot of difference, but when you compare that to something like a 0 0.30 or a 0.25, it is a monumental difference in diameter of the pin size. Um, the thing that they are currently doing with these bigger pins is they're actually giving them a longer taper. A longer taper means that it's taking longer for that whole pin diameter to come down to a point. Okay. It's how sharp that tip and that point of those pins are. Um, what I really like about these open liners is that they are so sharp that it's almost like it's effortless to do a bold line. Um, I haven't tried some of the smaller groupings yet, but I do really, really like the results that I'm getting from these open liners. Highly recommend. Check them out. I think you'll really like them. They're extremely stable. Um, if you can afford them, get the capillary cartridges. They hold way more ink. They're a little bit more difficult to rinse out if you're trying to do like gray lines and stuff like that but they hold a tremendous amount more pigment to really get some nice pulls in for really long saturated lines. What's up, Seth? Uh, we are joined Go with on, Jason. Seth Mushrush today, and I don't know why my one iPad, which I usually monitor um, YouTube, I don't know why YouTube's acting funny for me today. Hopefully it's not uh, all the way around with every YouTube. Let me just see if it's coming through loud and clear over here. See, maybe it's just my device. Yep, looks like it's just my device. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah, no, that's okay. Um. I'll just keep the web page up. Yeah, I love technology, right? Uh, well, when it works, it's great. When it doesn't, it's the bane of everyone's existence. Very frustrating. It definitely can be. Let's see. Let's see. Let's What's up? I said it's never an easy fix with technology. It's not like having a loose screw on something. And you just grab a screwdriver and tighten it. And it's fixed. 
Yeah, or like, you know, a cartridge that kind of pops There's out on never a definitive answer, it seems. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's not it's not an easy uh replacement or an easy fix for sure. Um does look like I'm back up at you are frozen. Am I really? Yeah. Oh, there you go. There you just started moving again. Yay. Um Yay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um yeah. Great. Awesome. Okay. Cool. So uh, back on topic. Sorry for the technical difficulties here. Um, but yeah, Seth, I was just talking about, I just tried some of the uh, Cheyenne cartridges, some of their, oh, yeah. um, their open liners, dude. And I have to say, man, I'm really impressed. Um, yeah. I'm very, very picky with the cartridges I use. Um, and I've tried probably every brand that I've come across at one point in time or another, uh, yeah. from some of the cheapest to some of the most expensive. And I like them. And I mean, you want to talk about a bold line very, very quickly. Yeah. It, they do the trick. They definitely do the job and they do it well. Um, you know, that, and you know, it's a, it's quality. I know it's going to be stable. Um, you know, I, I've used certain cartridges before, which are great, but you know, sometimes they're a little floppy and they move around a little too much. And that yeah. leads to inaccuracy, especially with liners, which with mags, I don't really care too much about that, but you know, yeah. with liners, I want them to be stable. I want that thing to be like a laser beam, yeah. you know, like sharks with freaking laser beams. Sharks. All I want is freaking sharks with freaking laser beams. Well, I'll tell you what, man, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Cheyenne, uh, I used to use them all the time. I don't use them as much. The price point's a little rough for me. Um, but, uh, I mean, when you talk about quality, I know it's like you get what you pay for. They're just, they're very, very consistent. Um, and, uh, and, and they're, you know, you know what you're getting every time. I was used to using them for a long time, and it was tough for me to start kind of like varying and, and trying different cartridges. but I felt like I was doing myself a disservice by not at least, you know, trying different ones and seeing how they worked. And it wasn't right. so much an experiment, you know, full on because I was hearing from other people, well, I use these and they happen to work for me. And it's like with inks, right? Like you, you pick and choose and see what works best for you and everybody's got a different palette. So everybody likes a particular type of tool. Um, but if you're talking about just consistency and, uh, and, and overall performance, I, they're certainly one of the best. Um, I kick myself for not getting on with those guys earlier. Uh, many, many moons ago when they first came out, they had a booth across the aisle for me at the AC convention that Terry used to put on when it worked for him. And they were like, oh, you should try one of our machines. And I was still doing coils at the time. I'm like, ah, I don't know. You know, I think I had a shag built rotary and I was kind of set on that one. I just really wasn't feeling the, you know, I, I wasn't, I don't think confident enough to make the switch and, certainly uh certainly kind of missed the opportunity on that but I, you know once i once i was keyed into how good their product was uh, i've you know been using them pretty much ever since uh, but the the actual machines but the needles you know i've i've tried a few different other ones uh, i don't know if you ever tried uh, quadrant they're really good too uh, so i used but, to buy quadrants all the time um i just wasn't really a big fan of how tight their liners were they are tight. They, I've definitely noticed that. Um, 
And anybody out there that uses cartridges, I think they that's something that kind of happens is that you find that a lot of the line, a lot of the lining cartridges end up to just being pulled tighter. I don't know what that is about it, why they are like that, but I'll give you a little life hack here. If anybody out there listening likes to do traditional work and they use cartridges, I suggest trying things like an 11 round shader for lining. Uh, yep. I used one just the other day and, uh, it was, uh, and it wasn't either of the two brands that we just talked about, um, but the results were, I mean, they were, it was great. It was like, you know, hot knife through butter, clean square line, uh, one single pass. Um, and it was, it, it was very much needed for the project that I was doing. You know, I needed, I was doing these little tiny traditional style tattoos amongst larger portrait things. And I needed that juxtaposition of thick, bold lines and, I didn't want to have to, you know, it's in a, a rough area on the client. I wanted to be able to put it in at one pass and not have to build it up. Um, and it, man, it hit the nail on the head. And I, you know, I, I think it answered a question for me where I was like, well, how can I get these bold lines? I think I used to use the nine power liners from Cheyenne mm -hmm. um, and 11 powers. And they were good. They were definitely good. But the shader, I find the 11 round shader was less traumatic to the skin, you know, right. less swelling. So what I've started to notice is that a lot of that has to do with the solder distance um, from how far back on the pins and how far down that solder is drawn. And what yep. that does is creates a much stiffer grouping um, yep. with a lot less flex in those pins. And yep. that also limits the amount of capillary action that takes place in between each pin to saturate the tip of each pin as it you know, pulls back creates the vacuum sure. in the skin and then draws pigment into it. Um, yep. So I've been leaning a lot more towards a lot of looser liners. Um, yep. And I have to say black claw makes an excellent straight liner. They don't solder it down too far. It's got plenty of capillary action, but it allows, it allows for the, the tips of the pins to have just enough play where it's not going to totally beat someone up. Um, yeah. but at the same time, you still get a line that's true to size, you know? Uh, so, but that's also what I've really started to like about these open liners, especially some of the bigger sizes, they're using a much longer taper. They're keeping a lot more, they're keeping them a lot more loose as far as their solder distance. And that's sure. allowing for better capillary action to really saturate a line very, very quickly. Um, I would love to try the, uh, black claw. Uh, cartridges i have not tried them at all yet well you know uh, we'll talk offline about this but if you send me a text with your favorite groupings um you know i'll see you know what santa claus doesn't bring you for a uh, gift down in puerto rico oh nice I you like know, no promises no promises but um um none yeah. none taken but i yeah. get it um yeah but you they, know it's like Go ahead. I was saying the, the old school way, uh, you know, when we used to make our own needles, you'd make a bunch of them, you know, and then if somebody came in and you needed a, you know, different needle, whether it was one that we made or one that we purchased, let's say you pull out like a nine liner, right? Well, a lot of times I'd use like a seven liner. Um, and then you can, we heat the end of the needle with a lighter. Yep. 
and open it up just a little bit. And I remember like if you, if you hold the lighter there for just like a millisecond too long, you get too much of a spread, you know, but if you hold it the right distance, you can see the needles kind of open up just a little bit. Right. And that's, you know, dip it in the water real quick. Boom, you're good to go. You got your spread. But, you know, the problem there and with doing that stuff and found over time was like, you can't really control which way the solder moves when you're loosening right. it up like that. So you got to make sure you have it tilted back and hope that it just falls back into the needle and not forward. And then it, it like, you know, like you said, it eliminates that capillary action um, right. that you, you know, that you're looking for with that. Um, there was something about, I think you and I had this conversation before about hollow needles where they're not exactly hollow. It's got a needle in the middle, but they pull that pin back further than the needles that are on the outside edge. That's really interesting, you know, um, because I find that, you know, when you think about a shader, when you make round shaders and how smooth the shading is because it's shaped like a filbert brush, you're not getting those corners hung up in the skin. The liner is actually like the opposite of that, where, you know, you want the outside edge to penetrate, but that that second or that middle pin or, or whatever, however many are on the inside being pulled back, do you find that that just allows more pigment to be delivered so you're getting more saturated of a line or like what's the purpose of having that pin pulled back so there are different people out there that have different philosophies on why they like them maybe they don't like them maybe they do like them maybe they don't get them etc etc from my understanding the reason why they started to do that was because there were a lot of people out there that you know if you've got a machine set up, say it's an old school coil machine, you've got that set up um, to move at a certain speed for your hand speed because you've adjusted to that machine. You don't want to have to slow down or slow your machine down to create that kind of a solid line with that many pins creating that much trauma in one area. So one of the things that they started doing was creating hollow liners. What that allowed was for minimal skin trauma because you don't have quite as many needle tips passing over the exact same amount of area. Um, okay. And that allows for a better healing, more solid line in the long run. Now, as far as cartridges go, um, it's kind of the same philosophy. When you've got so many pins covering such an amount of area, right? you're going to have overlap with where those pins are. So if you're running yeah. your machine too fast, you're just basically tearing people apart. And that right. line is going to feel like crap. So what they did was they started to pull back those center pins a little bit to create a stiffer outer edge, but then a softer inner edge so that just the barest tips of those inner pins are hitting what that's doing is once again it's creating less skin trauma on the interior of the line and allowing the pins on the exterior of the line to really create that line thickness um some people like them some people don't like them i'm kind of indifferent on them okay um i understand the concept i'm just kind of old school on the fact that i would just prefer to use something like a little bit more of a loose liner um, or maybe a tighter round shader, something kind of in between the two in order to get the same effect, but still cause less trauma. And that's uh, then again, I, I won't use anything over an 11. So for me, it's right. kind of pointy. 
yeah, 11 tip for me. Um, but the 11, like using a nine round shader, an 11 round shader, like for doing things like a back piece or a sleeve, a large piece where, you know, let's say I'm not using a, a five mag or a seven mag to outline this thing, you know, um, using those round shaders, you know, having a little bit of that play with the needles in there and, and that movement, it, it doesn't affect like the, uh, it's not affecting the crispiness of the line. I, I actually find that there's just more pigment kind of like per, I us say square footage, but like per, her measurement in the skin, there's just a heavier load of pigment being delivered. And I think that's because of the spread on the needles, you know? Right. Um, you know, we're, we're using a, a probably, you know, if it's a shader, a round shader, it's probably a medium taper needle. Um, right. And just able to kind of deliver a, a heavier pigment load. And, um, now this is so it's just it's super nice. You actually just brought up something that's been a topic of conversation between a few different people and myself um, over the past week or week and a half. Um, and that's, you know, what is medium taper? What is a longer taper? You know, you hear about like super extra long tapers and stuff like that. Um, you know, sure. what is the primary difference and how does that have an effect on pigment delivery? Um, and sure. what's, you know, what would be the difference between say, um, a number 12 or a 0.35 diameter pin that's got a long taper and something like a 0.30 pin that's got a medium taper. And for right. this discussion, let's say that a long taper is, um, we'll say 5.5 to six millimeters and we'll say a medium taper is, I don't know, anywhere from 3.5 to 5. Um, okay. It just, just for discussion's sake, right? Well, the shorter that taper is, the more it's going to reach that pin's maximum diameter faster because it doesn't have as far into the skin to travel to reach maximum diameter. Because of that, it's going to create a much bigger vacuum in the skin, which is going to draw in more pigment. Where if you have a much longer taper, it causes less trauma, which is great because ultimately we want our tattoos to heal right, etc. Um, it doesn't go in quite as far, so it, you know, it makes you wonder because we're only going into the skin two to three millimeters, you know, maybe a little more give or take depending on skin thickness and. Maybe you're tattooing yeah, a guy that's a professional fighter or something like that, but sixteenth of an inch. It's it's pretty much the exactly across the board. Yeah. Um, so if we're only going in that far, that's not gonna be the equivalent of, you know, five or six millimeters. That's far less than that. So right. we're never actually reaching the full diameter of the pin. Unless we're right. really digging into them, <laughs> they pissed us off. Maybe we're an old school tattooer and we just don't like the person. Uh, right. Maybe we don't know what we're doing and we're just burying this thing to the hilt. Um, sure. Well, it's, you know, that's kind of where things get tricky, right? Because with a longer taper, there's going to be a point on that taper, right, that matches the same diameter of a smaller sized pin. 
Right. Right. So somewhere yeah. on that that way from the abs from where it starts to form the point on the pin all the way to the absolute tip of it, there's going to be a point on there that is the exact same diameter as a smaller total sized pin. Right. A so, medium table. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you know, what would really be the difference there? And right. The trade-off. When you're, exactly. What's the trade-off? Um, so, and there's different ways you can look at it as far as ink deposits, um, amount of blending that can be done, amount of layering that can be done. Um, I've actually found that if I use a smaller diameter pin size, I actually get more saturated, more solid coats of color because I'm creating more holes in the skin as I'm tattooing, which is allowing for a more solid, even coating of whatever color I'm doing. But if you're trying yeah. to blend things out and create very nice, smooth transitions, you don't necessarily want a solid blanket um, blanket layer of saturation right off the bat. Sometimes right. you want to go through and you want to taper that saturation out so that you can blend other colors back into it. Once again, depending yep. on the technique that you use, if you like to premix all your gradients, that's fine. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a different way of doing it. But for other people that like to go through, use a more limited color palette um, and blend their colors in the tube and in the skin, as opposed yeah. to in the cap, it's nicer sometimes to have a bit more of a spread out. And I hate to put it this way, but it's more like you're spreading those holes out a little bit wider apart, which is allowing yeah. for better mixing and better layering. Okay, so you're you're saying you're suggesting using the medium taper needles, you're able to get an an easier blend with the colors by um, having more so space longer between tapers. the holes. Longer, longer tapers. Ta okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. So yeah. I I like using the I started using bug pins years ago, um, all round like all rounded uh, needle groupings um, curved. Um, sorry, curved uh, needle groupings and all bug pins. Um, and I just found that, like you had said, everything seems to be a little bit smoother. Depending on which pigment in particular that I'm using, sometimes I have to go, I turn my machine down, I go a little bit slower, but I do find that there's a heavier saturation. Uh, now, I've had this conversation with some really, you know, high, like top shelf color portrait artist guys and some of them are like, eh, it doesn't really, it doesn't matter to me. You know, I, I guess if I'm doing color stuff, you know, the medium tapers tend to get, uh, you know, more color in there faster. But, you know, the, the saturation, like it's a little bit smoother with the, the longer tapers. Uh, I think I am very much a creature habit. I've been accused of not really adapting to change well. Uh, <laughs> so that makes I sense. think, and, and, yeah, and they're not wrong. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, I, I found that, you know, I, when I'm using these needles, I, I get that kind of comfort zone. Like I know what works for me. Right. And I know for sure that a, a certain size of the long taper needles, um, I just, it's easier if I can trust the, 
delivery system that's happening. You know, I know where my fades need to start, where my blends can go. I'm the type of guy, I usually mix most of my stuff as I'm going, you know, back and forth in ink caps. Right. Uh, mix it in the tube, mix it in the ink, I mean, in the, uh, in the skin. And then also learn the technique of being able to, when you hit those blends and, and an area is done and you move on, sometimes when that settles down, you look back and you're like, ah, I got to bring that darker value back into the lighter value, you know, a little bit more um, or whatever it is I need to do, hit a shadow again or something like that. And that's where I'll turn the machine all the way down, you know, and go really lightly over the surface. But because the skin's already opened up, I'm, I'm able to drop another little lead value in there. Um, and right. with a medium taper needle, I don't believe I'm afforded that opportunity. I think you have to be a lot more deliberate. Um, and, you know, if I'm doing a traditional style piece, uh, which I do do from time to time, uh, I find that using the medium taper needles, I'm able to, you know, I'll turn the machine that whip shape going. Um, and it just looks like a traditional style tattoo. It's smooth, solid color. Um but, you know, I'm less concerned with it. You know, I want that kind of whip shade. I want that little choppy blend of the black going into the color. Um, you know, just visually, I think it, it looks a little more like a traditional style piece. You start getting the, the blends that are too smooth. And, and I just feel like it, something about it doesn't feel authentic. And maybe that's just me nerding out over, you know, the difference between a, a rendered piece or a traditional style piece. But um, right. So I think it depends on the piece. You know, if I'm doing traditional, I, I may use, tend to lean towards a, a medium tapered sh uh, shader, uh, but I would still use a curve. Uh, I just, I, I like not not having that corner of the needle hit the skin sometimes before the center hits. Um, I just think it, it works well for me, but you know, it's not necessarily for everyone. And then if I'm right, doing right. a portrait piece or a rendered piece, I'm definitely using uh, buckins, uh, black and gray, a hundred percent using those long tapers. Um, right. but everybody's got a different, a different thing, you know, I mean, it's, it, we're only here to talk about what, what works for us. And maybe there's people out there that are trying to figure things out and, and hopefully this information helps. But yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, I found what, what I prefer and what typically works for me. Um, and everyone is different, you know, I mean, I, it depends on, you know, I guess the job that you're trying to do, you know, you use the sure. right tool for the right job. You know, if I'm doing yep. a traditional piece, I'm using a, a number 12, a 0.35 millimeter diameter, um, you know, pin, but I'm using a medium taper to really get that nice pepper whip shade um, so that yep. you can really see those individual dots as I'm whipping stuff out, you know, yep. and then I'll go back through and I'll do you know, my, my standard circle coloring to go through and really make sure everything is super saturated first pass because I don't have to do a lot of blending. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the beauty of doing traditional work is that you don't have to worry about blending too many colors. You can kind of go through and do one blanket color, get it in there and be done. Um, be done. But if, yeah, but if I'm done doing something super soft, black and gray, you know, I'll switch over to something like a, um, you know, a 0 0.30 millimeter um, or a 0.25 diameter, a number eight bug pin. And, um, you know, I'll do that and I'll kind of feather that basically right off the tips and just kind of feather everything yeah. in. And I find it works just the same. 
And it allows me to get those really nice, very, very soft, subtle transitions um, as opposed to, you know, basically just doing a blanket of a tone. Um, yeah. You know, it's then, it's just what I found works for me. Um, yeah. Lining's a little bit different. You know, I'm, I, I do like lining with bug pin liners. Um, oh, yeah. But at the same time, I also work with a lot of, you know, medium taper round shaders as liners um and yeah. that's just because they saturate so well for a single pass uh i like the um i do like using the uh the bug pin liners um for a lot uh, i usually uh, i'll carry two versions of three liners in my arsenal where i'll have bug pin liners uh three bug pin liners and then i'll have a number 12 three liner and I'll use the number 12 three liner for if I need to shade in an area, um, right. you know, coloring in a corner of a pupil or, you know, darkening up an eyelid, something like that, a nostril, things of, of that nature. Um, putting in highlights, I like using them for that. I don't like the three shaders. Um, I've used them and they're a little too spread for as small as what the needle is um, right. for what it is that I'm looking for. So I like a little more of the kind of dialed in control over that. Um, which is funny because I like using the, the larger spread needles, you know, the shaders for lining stuff. And I'm, I'm, I haven't had any issues with any fuzziness, but I find that like with the smaller ones, you know, if I'm trying to put in a highlight, that three shaders just a little too spread for me. I almost would have more success with like a, a bug pin seven than I would that spread three. Right. No, I, I, I agree, man. Um, yeah. You know, I've and, I've never really been a super big fan of like super super tiny round shaders. I'll use a, yeah. a looser like a a five round shader occasionally for certain very specific things. But, sure. You know, typically, why would I do that if you know I can get in there with like, say, I already have a seven round a tighter seven round liner out. Why wouldn't I just use that if it's going to cover the same amount of space? And I'm going to get a better, right. more saturated coverage with it. Right. And I think it comes down to what we talked about before was uh, trauma, right? Skin right. trauma. So like if you're using that, that tight seven, but you're coloring in a small area. So here's the delicate balance that we all kind of walk is using that tight seven. You're creating and, and the needles are, are more rigid because they're soldered down, tightened up a little bit further. You're creating more more trauma to that area doing those little tiny circles than if you had five needles that were opened up kind of moving around less holes um there's there may it depends on the capillary action of that particular needle brand does it deliver the ink in an efficient way um some of them do some of them don't and you wind up chewing the skin up a little bit so um I, I totally understand your point of view on that. I just, it's, I think it comes down to, to like a personal preference, right? Like what are we the most comfortable with using ourselves? And that's something as artists, we all got to figure out because you may, you may get comfortable with something and then find out that, you know, somebody whose work you look up to, whether it be a coworker or a peer somewhere in the business, you see what they're doing and what they're using. And you're like, Oh, you know, I'd really like to try that. And it might not work for you. Um, that doesn't, mean that what you're doing is wrong or right or anything like that it's just a different approach um but i think it's important to remember that you know in this journey that we all take as as artists and tattooers and learning what works for us don't lose sight of the fact that you know you have to give yourself credit and that 
you may find some things that work well for you that don't work well for the people that you look up to, just like they have stuff that you, you know, it's like back and forth. So a lot of times early on, you're like, well, that's the way I have to do it. You know, I have to do the thing that I saw that person do. Um, and you're like, why can't I figure it out? Well, maybe you weren't meant to figure that particular thing out, but you'll find your own thing, you know, pay attention to what they're doing, pay attention to how they're using it. But if that thing doesn't work for you, that's okay. You know, you're able to figure it out along the way. There's like certain technical things that are really difficult. I, I, I you definitely have a stronger grasp of it than I do. All of the, you know, the, the technical things like, um, you know, stroke length and stuff like that, mill, millimeters. I mean, I'm terrible, man. I couldn't even tell you, like, I do better looking like the 0. 0.30, the 0. 0.35. Like, I know what that means, but right. I don't know the very specifics of it. You know, a, a stroke length on stuff. I understand it, but I don't understand the scientific specifics of it. I just know what feels right and what works right with my machines, right. you know, or the needles that I use. Well, and that's important because at the end of the day, if it doesn't feel right for you to be doing that tattoo, then it's not, you're always going to be struggling with it because it doesn't feel right. Um, You know, and a lot of tattooing, in my personal opinion, um, comes down to how does it feel? Can you feel that line going in, you know, perfectly fine, saturating everything when you wipe it away or dab it away? Can you yep. see that light black and gray, you know, fade in just like the corner of like a cheek line? Can you see yeah. just that tiny little bit of a curvature around? Is it fading out just the right amount to give you just the right value? You know, does it feel right? And a lot of that yep. comes from experience and a lot of that comes from time and um, really yep. focusing on your technique. Um, and I'm a huge advocate of learning different techniques. Um, you know, everything from old school traditional techniques to, you know, go for more neo-trad techniques or, um, you know, more of a portrait brush kind of technique where you're like lightly brushing everything in, layering everything up with your pendulum strokes. Um, you know, all vary my technique based on the tattoo that I'm doing. And what feels right for me at that point in time with what I'm using. Um, Yeah. You know, and I've tried just about every kind of technique out there and I've gotten advice from different guys and I've been tattooed by so many different people and all of them have different techniques and strategies. I don't think I've ever been tattooed by uh, any two tattooers um, that have ever tattooed me in the exact same way using the exact same stuff. Um, yeah, you know, so everyone does have their own little thing that they like to do that really works for them. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, finding, uh, finding that groove is, is what's important. And like with the feel thing, you know, I, I don't use coil machines really at all anymore, just for convenience and comfort and stuff like that. That being said, I can pick up any coil machine that somebody has. And this goes back to the feel thing. And this is what's important is, you know, the, the thumb test on the armature bar, you tell me it's a liner. I can turn that machine on and hold my thumb against that armature bar and know immediately if it's running the way it should run for a liner, the way it should run for a shader, just by feeling it on the edge, you know, the edge of the pad of my thumb. Um, And that's something I learned early on. And that, that was all about adjusting machines. And then, I bought all the calipers and all the, you know, things for bending the springs a certain way and getting a particular type of tension. 
But at the end of the day, it came, it all came down to that, that test, you know, that, yeah. that, that test of turning it on, hold my finger against it. How does it feel? And, and it, it never lied. You know, if I felt, it felt choppy, it was choppy when I tattooed, if it felt smooth, it was smooth when I tattooed, you know, if it felt tight, it was going to be tight. Every, every time I did that, that's what it came down to. So all the gadgets that I used and spacing and stuff like that, um, you know, angles for the way things were bent um, in the, in the very end, it all came down to feel. And I just think that's, that's something that's gotta be, you know, all the technology, all, all the technological information that's out there on how machines run, whether they're coils or rotary machines, um, just be, be mindful that in the end, it really comes down to how does it feel, you know, when you're actually using it. So. Yeah. Very, very wise words there. Feel is important. It is. You know, I've lately, I, so I, I run two machines on a daily basis. I don't have, you know, any coils that I run anymore. Um, but I have been using a couple of wireless machines for a while. Um, I've got the Cheyenne Solnova 3.5, which is my daily runner, my daily go-to for just about everything. Um, sure. And then I've got uh, a, an FK Irons XO at four millimeter stroke. For, nice you machine. know, if I've got a bigger grouping or anything like that, that I really need to push. Sure. Um, or maybe I'm trying to achieve a certain effect with a thicker pigment or anything like that. Okay, cool. I'll break that guy out. Um, but lately I've been playing around with the responsive mode on the Cheyenne, the, um, the built-in. I do game. not know. I don't know and anything it, about this. It is, it, it's different. It's very, very light, but I find that by using that, if I'm working with black and gray stuff, it really kind of does feel like a paintbrush. You know, it, you it can like feel those needles retracting in a little bit as it hits the skin. Okay. Um, and it allows you to go through and really stay just barely grazing the top layer of skin. Um, yeah. And I have to say, I, I kind of like it. I'm not a big fan of it for color or lining or anything like that. But you know, I, I really have been liking that a lot more for black, like really soft black and gray stuff, creating very yeah. large, smooth gradients and really nice. building tones up. Um, and that's something that I really, really enjoy. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not so much a fan of my FK Irons XO anymore. Um, I like it, but it almost seems a little too, not that it's too aggressive. Um there's, I, you know, I do like it for certain things. Like if I'm doing more of a, a traditional piece or if I'm doing something more like traditional Japanese with a lot of very long, smooth gradients, a lot of wind bars or iso bars or water of any kind, I'll break that thing out and I'll run those needles super shallow and I'll crank the speed on that thing way high. And, you yeah. know, you just basically skate over the top of the skin and you'll get a saturated area of gray wash um, sure. that will be a consistent tone. Um, yep. You know, and so I'll break it out for stuff like that. Yeah. But lately, I don't know if it's just because I've been working on a lot of smaller pieces or a lot of stuff that's been a bit, uh, 
a bit lighter on the color side, but I okay. think I've broken it out once in okay. like the past three weeks. Um, it just, you know, it's like if I can do everything I need to do with one machine, why would I bother going through and setting up two machines? Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I totally agree, man. Preaching to the choir on that, I'm sure. Um, so, uh, side note real quick. Do you, uh, do you remember that thing that we used to do years ago? Um, we used to do it a lot. Uh, drawing on paper. Remember that? Oh, wait, that's where, like, people used to use, like, pieces of, like, um, like charcoal and stuff, right? Like, yeah, like, or like pieces yeah. of wood? Or yeah, little pieces of wood sharpened, and and you would you, they would have these thin pieces of tree that were pressed and made into these things called yeah, paper. I, I remember hearing something about that. Yeah, <laughs> so I uh, I it's a habit that every single time I've been using you know the the iPad for so long now that every single time I bust out a piece of paper and start laying something out, something happens. To this perfect time for you to break up on us oh man bummer sorry oh dude that was classic sorry that was classic oh man all right am i back yeah you're back now am i back yes (laughs) so i'm going through a bad area so i you know it is what it is connecticut right right I, it feels okay. So it, the, every time I touch, you know, pencil to paper or marker to paper, I get that animal instinct takes over in my brain, and it feels right. I'm like, this is what I need. You know, it's like it's it's something primal, it, uh, like a primal art side of my brain is like, this is what you need to be doing more of this. So I just want to remind people that use iPads and stuff all the time to not not get out of the habit of drawing on paper and the benefits that come from it aren't just what you're seeing firsthand. Uh, it's something kind of intangible that happens in your brain. It's, I can't explain it other than just doing it. So just continue to do it. I lay a lot of things out with marker on tracing paper. And then I, you know, after three or four passes, then I'll take a picture of it with my iPad and then I might clean it up in there. Or if I'm using it for a tattoo, I understand the benefits of using that, but, uh, don't ever stop actually drawing on paper. So I actually know a guy who he'll he'll go through and he'll he's religious to using his red pencils. Um, oh, yeah. and he'll still do a fully rendered like red pencil sketch uh, yeah. first, and then he'll take a photograph with his iPad and he'll go through and he'll do all the line work and procreate, you know, right yeah. on top of that that picture. Uh, and it's just the way that he works the best. Um, and that's what works yeah. for him. And that's great. Uh, it's one thing I always appreciate about going up to the Paradise Gathering every year is that it's almost completely analog. Um, yeah. So uh, we did a lot of charcoal drawing. Uh, we actually had a number of different artists jump in on a uh, a Biomech collab. Um, I think that was Saturday night. I think we were up until like one or two in the morning working on them um gunner was there um everyone you know kind of jumped in and had their hands in it and um you know obviously i worked on them as well but it was you know it was fantastic just to see 
how many different people and like their drawing techniques and everything like that. It was awesome. But lately I've been working on a lot more analog paintings as opposed to fully, fully rendered digital drawings. Um, so I, I do still work analog quite a bit, but it's usually only with a brush. Um, yeah. I might lay things out in Procreate and then print them off and then paint them. But I am yeah. still working uh, a lot by hand. Uh, in fact, I've got a rather large dragon painting uh, that I need to find the time to get back into and work on a bit more that I started nice. up at Paradise Gathering that I haven't been able to really work on since. So um, I, uh, we've got Henry with us. Oh, nice. And we're getting a lot of echo Henry, from you, man. In the tin box? Oh, hold on. Henry joining us from the inside of a uh, tin can. Uh, yeah, yeah. Lots of echoing going on, man. That's all good. But um, but yeah, man. Uh, so now. I do still, I do still like to work with my hands every now and then, and, and uh, do that whole like drawing on paper thing. Um, yeah. you know, it is still, it is still a lot of fun. Uh, in fact, yeah. when I took a, uh, I was just out in New Jersey not too long ago doing a Japanese dragon workshop with Bill Canales, um, and all of that was drawing by hand, no iPads just tracing paper yeah. and pencils and yeah. you know, it was, it, it definitely got me back into it and I forgot how messy that stuff was. Um, yeah. you know, I ended up with like testing, two testing. Reds, one, two, three. much better. Yeah. Right. Cool. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Continue. Oh, yeah. Using the, uh, yeah. There's a, there's a rhythm to drawing with pencil. Uh, that you find, or, or even if you're doing a paintbrush drawing, you know, you're, you're drawing with like, like a liquid, like a whatever, a, a base or, or something like that, you know, where you can stay loose. I think your your hand and your, your, your mind, your fingers, it all finds a rhythm that it doesn't quite find when you're using uh, something that is, you know, uh, digital, you know. And, um, I agree. I completely yeah. agree with that. That digital yeah, is great. It's great, but that just that tactile, you know, feedback to it is there's a sum to it. Yeah, yeah, there is definitely. I mean, maybe one day when we're all chipped up with computers, you know, it will be a little. It will we'll find that connection, but that uh, that I, the best way I can describe it is that rhythm. It's tough to find that rhythm when you're using something digital, but and that's not to say that you like, we're both saying it. The process of visual communication with our clients and helps us make large drawings very quickly on a small scale and know that they'll work when we blow them up. Um, but if we're not, if you can't lay it out on, on paper first, uh, it's just going to be missing something. And you can always tell when you look at somebody's artwork, I almost 100% of the time, when I look at something that somebody else drew or, or even something I drew, it's obvious to me when it's done directly on the iPad using nothing else. Right. Right. Hey, let me ask you a question. Um, what I've been doing lately is, uh, and I, I've been tattooing since 2010 full time, and I learned uh, without the iPad, um, 
you know, you know, Xerox machines. You know what I'm saying? Um, oh yeah. But I just I just saw that the iPad just pretty much streamlined a lot of that. But what I've been doing lately is I'll I'll put it together on the iPad and then I'll do a line drawing of it and then I'll I'll do a painting of it. Um and then I'll do the tattoo. Yeah. Uh, I I found that that's been I found that that's been very helpful lately. What do you feel about that? Well, Jason had just mentioned earlier about uh, a guy drawing in red pencil, you know, and that used to be the way the old Ticonderoga Roga, uh, red pencils and a little check uh, not just doing. Yeah, not just doing the uh, the drawing, but also rendering it out um, and doing that ahead of time by hand and then taking the picture of it with your iPad and then developing developing it more. Um, you're answering mm. a lot of questions. You know, there's there's I think there's there's a couple things that happen. One is. You're answering questions ahead of time that could come up during the process of tattooing that you're no longer going to have to ask yourself or answer. The, the, the answers will be there. You know, where does mm -hmm. this shadow fall? How, how deep does this tone or value have to go? How where is this highlight properly placed? You're figuring all of that out ahead of time. Right. It's like a, it's like a dress rehearsal for the tattoo itself. Um, mm -hmm. And then the second thing that you're getting out of doing something like that before you're, before transferring it all to digital is. And this is something that's gotten lost in the digital age is um, you're creating another piece of artwork for yourself. Ooh, speak you know, on. <laughs> yeah, you just now you now you have another thing, right? Like it's like it's like doing a full fully rendered charcoal drawing of something that you're going to paint, and then you transfer that charcoal drawing to the painting. You do the painting, but now you have this hand drawn thing and the painting that coincides with it. Now you're just you're increasing your portfolio. Your you know the worth of the piece is more. Um, it's just a, I think it's an all around better experience as an artist to be able to do the, that kind of a thing. You know, and and that's not to say. And, and Jason, I like to get your thoughts on this. Uh, is you know, it's not to say that it doesn't make it a very helpful to have uh, the digital stuff immediately readily available when you're turning and burning at the shop and you need to crank stuff out. But when you're working on something that needs to be developed, a larger piece or a personal piece or project, uh, having these these different um, forms of the same thing where it's like almost like the way the old masters used to do it. You know, I mean, you go to see the David sculpture. There's there's 11 of the sculptures or whatever before you even get to the main one. You know, things that just didn't work out. He was trying to work it out. Oh, no way. Like oh, know, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I need to check that one out. Well, it's like um, so it's it's also something that's done quite a bit in um, in the world of Japanese style tattooing, is you'll mm -hmm. see people and maybe they'll get a client that comes in that wants like a full back piece or a bodysuit, and they'll do, you know, eight to ten different thumbnails, uh, you know, at index card size, you know, three mm -hmm. by five at the biggest, and they'll they'll do small rendered versions of different things and they'll try stuff out before they decide that they like one idea and they commit to it. Right. Um, and a lot of that is them problem solving, you know, uh -huh. say you've got someone with, uh, you know, really big, you know, shoulder muscles and really big lats, right. That spends a lot of time in the gym. They're going to be built very differently than someone that doesn't go to the gym at all, yeah, you know? Right. So it's gonna, you're going to have to play with shapes. You're going to have to play with flow. Um, 
But I, yeah. I myself like to at least, if I'm getting into a more involved piece, I like to at the very least do a value rendering. You know, where are my highlights? Where are my shadows? You know, mm -hmm. where's my light going to fall in this area? How is this going to uh -huh. look? Which way do I want this to, you know, fit and flow? Is this going to have too much contrast? Is this going to be identifiable? Um, you know, I, I like to at least go through and do something like that first so that that way I can do all that problem solving on the front end before I ever touch needle to skin. Um, yeah. And that's, that's something that I find to be very, very helpful. You know, mm -hmm. colors can be colors. Colors can change on the fly. Maybe someone, maybe you drew out a red flower and they want it blue. Cool. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Know where your lights and shadows are going. Exactly. You know, yeah. and it, that's what it ultimately comes down to is you're playing with light and you're playing with shadow and you're uh -huh. creating shapes that create these images um, that create the value that this petal is coming forward and this one's falling behind. You know, this uh, leaf is in the foreground. This leaf is in the background. You're uh -huh. playing with light and shadow and that's creating this volume of whatever it is that you're creating because without light and shadow, everything's going to appear flat and there's not going to be any depth or dimension in anything. Right. Yes. So therefore, you know, you know uh, and what's interesting is I, for a little while in my career, um, I used to wait until the day of the tattoo to draw everything. Uh, but I, I stopped doing that and, and started to, you know, just become more prepared for the piece. You know, so I'll fucking yep. do studies and line drawings and sit there and just you know, research piece, and I just find I have I have a much better product. Uh, you know, when I do when I do it like that, you know, and just say, you know, if the client wants to change something up, so what? You know, whatever. You know? That's what the freestyling ability is for. You know, right, right. Yeah, you can always make small, minute adjustments at the last minute. That's not a problem at all. You know, uh, what it ends up coming down to is preparation. How prepared are you? You know, have you done your studies? Have you done your sketches and your line drawings and that kind of stuff? And it will show in the quality of work that you do. You know, yeah. you get people out there like, you know, James and Anthony Tex, Bill Canales. Bill Canales spent 40 years drawing dragons yeah. and to the point that he knows how to do them so well now that he doesn't have to do that anymore because he's already put in the work to understand the way everything's going to look. You know, uh -huh. but it took him 40 years to get to that. Um, look at any, yeah. I mean, it's, it goes to show how much preparation can be put into certain things and what the payoff of that can be. Um, uh -huh. You know, I saw Bill draw dragon head in 90 seconds and it was flawless. Freehand? Yeah. Just sat down Ooh. with a, a marker on a whiteboard and boom, belted it out. Um, and it was it was perfect. It was a perfect Japanese dragon head so because he, he had put in the time. To, well, he put in the time. You know, he dragon he man his butt. Yeah, and I'm sure uh, he sucked at dragon. I'm sure he was. I bet he was like, man, I bet he hated doing dragons at one point. He was just like, you know what, fuck this shit. I'm just gonna go ahead and be the best dragon man ever. Period. 
yeah, it's something he always found challenging and it's something that he always enjoyed drawing. And, you know, there are so many different ways that you can draw them that, you know, he just wanted to put the time into it to become the best he could at it. And it, it's proven true. Um, you know, so it's, it just goes to show, but look at a lot of people, even people like Bob Tyrell, right? Uh Bob Tyrell will go through and he, he'll, use his own reference material. Maybe it's a skull or whatever. He'll take his own photographs and he'll break everything down into his values on that photograph that he's using for reference. And he will go through and he's doing his preparation in that manner. Uh Uh, You know, but a lot of it does come down to its preparation. And we all have our own ways to prepare. You know, some people like to do fully colored renderings, some people like to do value sketching and studies. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot more of that for stuff that I want to do now, uh, especially in preparation of Puerto Rico coming up. I'm doing a lot more just value studies and sketches. Um, be, and I'll print those out in different colors for people to look at. Uh, you know, it's it doesn't mean that it's going to be done in all red or all teal or all blue. It's just to give them an idea of the value and where the light and the shadow can fall so that that way they can turn around and say, oh, I really like the way that this is done. I want this in black and gray or I want this in color. Um, And that gives the choice to the client. Uh, That's kind of the reason why I moved away from doing fully colored renderings. So, okay. All right, Leah, let's talk about this. So, um so it's better to just kind of do it in all black and gray at first so that then like you just kind of get the the values down because i got this i got this one piece i was just gonna go full color on but i was thinking about this going rendering value so yeah that and and i'll show you a good example um let's see i think that's number color is just an illusion so this is a sketch um that i recently did it's just a value sketch you know, there's nothing super crazy about it. I rendered it in teals and blue on a gray background. Okay. There's no, okay. when I go to do this as a tattoo, I can do this in black and gray. I can do this in color. We can make his robe red. We can make it purple. We can make it teal. We can make it whatever uh-huh. color he wants because I already know where my dark tones are going to go, where my light tones are going to go what I really want accented, where my highlights are going to be. I already know exactly how I want this to look. So to me, it's kind of like, oh, you want this done in red? Cool. We're going to do some purple undertones in the cloak, and we're going to do the majority of it, you know, red with some like more orangey red kind of highlights. That'll give us a really nice red look. Um, And we can render it in whichever way we want to. Uh Uh, But does that mean that, you know, it has to be done in all blues? No, but you never know if someone wants black and gray or color. And I started to realize after con- convention after convention, I would bring fully rendered colored drawings, um, you know, flash designs and stuff like that, that I wanted to do to all of these conventions. And a lot of people would come up to me and they'd be like, oh my God, I love this. You know, but I would want it in black and gray. And I'm like, well, that's cool. We can do that in black and gray. Come sit down so I can tattoo you. Right. Uh, Right. But it gives them the choice. 
to go color or black and gray. You know, and that's something that yeah. they can decide. But if they see it in color initially, they might not understand what it could look like in black and gray. So it it kind of it kind of frees things up a little bit more and gives people the option to go with color or black and gray instead. Mm-hmm. And then, it, and then I guess I even, even for you as an artist, it's just easier for you to just kind of focus on the values as opposed to just trying to get all that color in there. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Word. You know, especially as you start to like drill down and like start to limit your color palette. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe you realize that you like working with yellow ochre, um, canary yellow, uh, and canary yellow as your two primary yellows, a light purple and a dark purple, a light blue and a dark blue, a light teal and a dark teal. Um, when you really start to drill down and really start to narrow down your color palettes, um, it makes a world of difference because, oh, okay, you want blue? Cool. It's going to be blue. These are the blues that we're using. You know? Oh, you want red? Here's red. What if they don't you like got... that blue? What if they be like, oh, I want this blue because it's my mom, my mom's favorite color? Well, then mix it up. If they want more yeah, of a teal yeah. blue, you mix green and blue and you make teal. So got it. So basically you out here, so so it's artists out here to just only have one palette and that's just kind of all a picture for the most part. So Jesse Smith as a as a template anyway. Jesse Smith, world famous uh-huh. tattoo artist, does phenomenal tattoos. Um he's been in the game for a very, very long time. He literally every tattoo that he does, it doesn't matter if it's a back piece, it doesn't matter if it's a one-shot arm piece. It doesn't matter if it's a small tattoo. It doesn't matter if it's a bodysuit. Every tattoo that he does, he only uses five colors plus black and white. That's five. Wow. That's all he has. Mm-hmm. Is five well, colors. Five period? Like not you're not talking that, about like five. A blue concentrate, red. a green concentrate, um, a red concentrate, a purple concentrate, and then like a bright yellow. And that's well, all yeah. he uses, plus black and white. And he can mix okay. every single color you can imagine. Oh. Where did he study color fucking, fucking color theory? Goddamn <laughs> color mixing this shit. Uh, School of Hard Knocks. What's going on yeah. with right. this, well, this live stream is rated 18 plus for a reason. So. I mentioned this uh, before. Um, there's a, uh, you know, there's a book. It's about oil painting. Um, but it definitely helped me with color theory early on. And it's uh, Helen Van Wick's uh, color mixing the Van Wick way. I think she spells Wick W-Y-C-K. She used to have a, a painting show on TV where she would paint still lives and, and oil. And she would do them like in the same amount of time that Bob Ross would do one of his paintings. Like she's doing a, a you know, highly rendered, realistic, you know, setup of a copper tea kettle and a couple of onions and stuff like that so her book though breaks everything down per color and does it in a way like she talks about how to mix these different colors and things like that and it translates very well into tattooing and that she she'll do a section on just reds a section on just blue a section you know on browns 
greens on all of these things. And like maybe for greens, she's showing um, a painting of like a head of lettuce. Then she's showing how she's getting achieving these different values and how to search or uh, hues and how to search for these hues, you know, and um, having what's, like what's a, her name I, again? What's the name Helen, of Hel Helen Van Wick? I just pulled it up. Helen. Color mixing the Van Wick way. Yes. Um, I just sent it to so I wrote. Well, yeah, I, and then, and as far yep. as rendering things, you know, in, in black and gray to try and find that value first, it's very important. Um, because what I mean, if you take the chromatic value out of something, you know, the the chroma uh, away from the color, you need to make sure that it still works and reads if it were a black and gray tattoo, right? Like if you take a fully colored uh, tattoo or painting, make it a black and white image. Does it still read the same way? You know, does it right. still have that that depth to it and everything? Because if your if your hues are matching up too much, if you're using a, a, a hue of green and a hue of blue next to each other, uh, and you want them to stand out, but if it were black and gray, they don't. There's no separation whatsoever. You might find that as that tattoo settles into the skin over time and relaxes into the skin, it doesn't. It, it, it's almost like you know, it doesn't have that same readability right so maybe you can do things like exaggerate understanding that we're going to be looking at it through several layers of skin so you may want to punch up that no know, know that the blue is going to recede you might want to warm up that green a little more than what it actually is in nature if you're doing a portrait or whatever it is you know maybe ex exaggerate the the warmth of that green um so that you're getting that value separation um in in involving the actual chroma of the color right like the, the, it's just it'll separate itself in color and it separates itself in black and gray as well uh but her book's Word. fantastic for it i i recommend anybody pick it up and just get out a get out a, a piece of canvas or, or whatever canvas paper a bunch of paints and just experiment with what she's saying she breaks it down super easy per chapter oh. i mean it, it's only a couple of small exercises and it, it made a, a huge difference to me early on. Oh, nice. That's exciting. I love that type of stuff. You know, and then when you couple it with, uh, what's that other guy's name? Albers? James James Gurney? No, not Gurney. Um, the guy that, like, you know, shows that you can make two different colors look, you can make one blue a little lighter by putting a different color next to it. Albers. Last name is Albers. But it's just like color oh, relationship. Yeah. yeah. One of those. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's Russ Abbott did a great job putting that uh, that color wheel together. And I think there's that another color version of it too. Yeah. Uh, and just how, how these colors will behave next to each other. But it's all translated into tattooing. So, I mean, that was a fantastic uh, creation on his part. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think there, there's a second version of that, correct, Jason? Which one? The color wheel. That. Oh, uh, there's uh, there's lots of different versions of Russ Abbott's color wheel. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, like and related. Yeah. There's. So, um, and I'll kind of show you. I'll give you a little preview because I actually have it. I was one of his Kickstarter uh, supporters. Yeah. Same. I only have uh, I only have the eternal one, but I think he did other ones too. So this one That's is one eternal, but yeah. if you take a look, like he's got all of these different uh, ways to do it, like split complementary, 
Um, yeah. You know, and if you zoom in, it gives you all of the names of all of the yeah. actual pigments and where they sit in the color wheel. In the value too, the value range. Yeah. That's what we were yeah. talking about before. I, used, I had that uh, the physical one of those. Yeah. Now it's a digital. Yeah. So you just like it's important that that shows you right there. You know how important it is to make sure that you're not using too many colors that are on the same ring of value because you're not going to get that that same pop that that you would get if you had just you know maybe gone one or two values in a different direction from whatever the the base color i find that like some tattoos and maybe you guys can speak to this like i like uh when to uh, make a comparison to music right like you're playing guitar or piano or something there's a root note there's something that, that a bass note that everything revolves around right like the key of c every, everything in this song will be around that so I, I think that like in in certain tattoos you know there should be a root color or a root hue or a root value where mm. Everything will revolve around that, and now you can you can uh, come up with the rest of the the rest of the palette of the tattoo based around those one or two colors, so that now you know where your value range is going to be, where where your chroma range is going to be. So yeah, I always I can... like to. Uh, I was going to say I always yeah. like to find out what my client's favorite color is. And then I'll base, if we're doing color, I'll base the entire tattoo around that. Say their favorite color is purple. Cool. Well, we'll do the primary subject matter in purple, or we'll use that as, you know, our, our base and our focal point. And then all of the other colors that I'll use will go to complement and bring out that purple. But they're never yeah. very bright and they're never saturated because if we use all bright colors, none of the colors are bright you know so it's like you can't you can't go through and use nothing but vibrant colors it's not going to be bright everything's going to be on the same uh value platform it's going to be right. on the same value range but if you go through and you do a lot of muted tones a lot of muted yellows or uh, muted teals and then you put a vibrant pure purple in there that pure purple is going to dominate everything. I um, yeah. I uh, heard it best. It's a really good analogy you bring up with the music because it's like, it's like a solo. You know what I'm saying? So it's like if, it's, if there's a guitar solo, you know, the drums aren't going to be, you know, doing their thing. The bass isn't going to be, everybody's going to be kind of like just supporting, you know, the solo so that, the, the, so that that person can stand out. You know what I mean? Correct. Yeah, complimenting everything. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and color color can get really tricky too. Um, you know, I I've become a huge fan of analogous color schemes um, with one complement, and what I found is that that really really helps bring out a lot of that one complementary color. Um, you know, if I'm doing so once again, we'll use purple for an example, right? Well, purple is blue and red. So I'll use all different types of yellows and greens, right? But they're muted. They're a much darker value. So I'll use all different colors of yellows and greens and uh, maybe even some oranges in there. And then I'll have one area that's like pure vibrant purple. 
and that purple is really going to stand out against everything else. Oh. Um, but, you know, I'll try to stay away from the direct compliment as much as possible. Uh, it's just something that I've kind of started doing and I really kind of like the way it looks. So it's, um, you know, it's just a little trick that I found to be really helpful. Um, it's good advice. And it sounds easier too. Cause sometimes I'll, I'll just sit there, you know what I mean? Like tattoo, you know, before I do my tattoo and I'm like, what color should I choose from? You know what I mean? There's just so many to choose from. And so lately I've found that just lowering my, my, my color palette, you know, uh, is far easier. And granted, you know, yeah. what I'm, I'm not tattooing on the level of you guys. I mean, y'all are goddamn dope. I mean, I'm dope as fuck. Man. I don't get the twist on me right there. But y'all are really dope tattooers as well. So I was gonna say, man, don't don't talk down about your skills, man. You got some skills. Oh, thanks, bro. Did, uh, Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee said this: Don't you? You should never. And I'm paraphrasing, but never ill about your Never what? You kind of broke up. Yeah, you you're breaking up again, man. Never speak. Never sorry. Never. I'm at the bottom of the mountain. I really want to hear what he's saying too. That's terrible. Yeah, well, that's that's where he's driving in. Um, the sorry, state he's driving through, which is Connecticut, is notorious. Dude, it's all mountains. Cell phone reception all is spotty. At there we go. Is it back? Yes. Yeah. All right. I'll say it quick. Uh, Bruce Lee said that you should never speak ill about yourself, even in a joking manner, because your body doesn't know the difference. Ooh, yeah, no, that's good. Mm. Good point. So there's something to be said about, you know, where they, people talk about putting out. You have have confidence. Like, you, you can have, a, you can lose confidence with no arrogance. You know what I mean? Right. The, right. The, two, the two things are, you know, they're, can be mutually exclusive. You know, you don't need to have both of them. You can be overly confident and not be arrogant about it. So that's kind of one of the things I've been I've been interested in kind of working on. It's not easy to, you know, a lot of times, you know, in tattooing, you want to be humble, but you don't want to come from a, a, a place of poverty. Like you don't want to come from a poverty mindset. You know what I mean? You know, like say if you meet your idol, you know. You're not supposed to come from a place of I'm the shit and you're great. It's just supposed to you're just supposed to kind of come with them. We're both great, but we'd like to make each other better, kind of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent, man. The, the rising tide lifts all boats. You you meet somebody and you you know it's it's great to be enamored by their work or be inspired by their work, but don't don't ever put yourself in a completely separate category because they. Most of the time, you know, they have, they have, they have two sets of eyes, just like you, or they have a set of eyes, just like you, right? Like they have a set of hands, like they, they do all of the things. They just, maybe they practice it in a different way. They learn things in a different way. Maybe they're two completely different styles. I'm inspired by people that do traditional work all the time. I, I tend to not do that kind of stuff. Uh, it doesn't mean I, I don't like to, it's just, I tend not to, but that doesn't mean I'm not inspired by what it is that they're doing. You know, and not not in the least, you know. So, um, yeah, you always always try to, you know, you, you meet somebody like that, or or you you aspire to. Don't aspire to be that person. Uh, aspire to 
learn how to elevate your work um, by studying the stuff that they're doing that you like. You know, what is it about? Yeah. Because they're just they're just people too. Mm-hmm. You know, but so you can I mean you can we go back to the music thing again, right? Like there's only so many scales on a guitar. But it's it's all in how you choose to arrange them personally that makes them, you know, unique and, and your own voice. Um, I am hitting another spot here that's going to be bad, so I don't want to keep putting you guys through this. So I'm going to have to check out here. Uh, but it was nice talking. I, to you. It's, I was going to say we're we're about at that time anyway. Um, OK. Yeah. I, as much as I would love to stay on here and just talk and chat for the rest of the day i do have things that need to be done um, all right yeah so Bert, okay. glad I hopped on it. The last yeah it was good to see you again henry yeah definitely yeah, I'll see, too, or we'll all see each other out on the road at some point oh uh, yeah no doubt yeah um all right guys well thank you very much i appreciate it and um i will uh <laughs> give me a follow on instagram and i will see you guys around uh, before oh. you go, man, uh, give us oh, the yeah. uh, the Instagram and the sign off and oh, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, so my name's Seth Mushrush, uh, spelled exactly how it sounds. You can find me on Instagram at Seth Mushrush. Um, uh, my website will be up and running soon, um, so I'll get that information to you maybe next time. But I have um, I'm at Baker Street Tattoo in Media, PA, just outside of Philly. I'm there almost full time. I also tattoo part time up in Massachusetts, uh, out of Concord, uh, at a place called the Gallery Tattoo Studio. So, uh, whether you're up north or, or down in uh, in the Pennsylvania area, there uh, definitely reach out. Give me a follow on Instagram, um, and it's always great to talk to you guys, Jason. Great show, and I will talk to you soon. Good seeing you. Henry. Excellent. Thanks you a lot, too, bro. All right, man. Peace. Uh, Henry, why don't you go through and give us a quick sign-off? Yo, yo, yo. My name is Spirit. You can find me at Tattoos by Spirit on Instagram, TattoosbySpirit.com, and Tattoos by Spirit on TikTok. And as always, uh, Jason, I really appreciate you having the show. It's really always great just to kind of, you know, put your head together with other artists and seeing what other artists are thinking about. Um, it's, it's very necessary, and it's just great that you have the capacity to run a show like this. Every, uh, every well, it's Sunday. my pleasure. Appreciate you for having me. My pleasure, man. It always is. Um, you know, and it's something that I find a lot of value in, especially if I'm encountering a big problem or I need to bounce ideas off of someone else. You know, it's always nice to have this kind of an outlet to go through and get secondary opinions and, you know, find out how other people would tackle the same kind of issues and problems. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. thank you very yeah. much. You're welcome, sir. You're welcome. I'll see you on the next go round, my good man. That you will. Um, for anyone out there that is interested in reaching out to me directly, maybe you want to get tattooed in Puerto Rico. Maybe uh, you have an idea for another show coming up. Uh, feel free to take a look. My Instagram is right up here at Philly Inc. Um, feel free to send me a DM or you can always reach out to me, Jason at reinventingthetattoo.com. And I'll get back to your email as soon as I can. Uh, as always, if you like today's show, make sure to hit that like and subscribe button down at the bottom of the page. And I will see everyone next weekend for episode 130 of Skill Building Sunday here nice. with me, Jason Leeser on the Reinventing the Tattoo Network.
All right. So thank you very much. And I hope everyone has a great day and a great week. And um, yeah, keep those hands moving. That's right. Happy tattoo.